my name is Charles Goldfarb, and I'm joined by my co-host, Alexander Aline, for the AOA podcast, Lessons in Orthopedic Leadership. This podcast has been organized in support current events in the United States and our world, and the AOA's strategic priority to increase diversity within orthopedics. As the Association of Leaders in Orthopedic Surgery, we strive to increase diversity, minimize injustices, and respect all to better represent and deliver optimal care for our diverse populations of patients that we treat. As such, we are incredibly pleased to welcome Gabby O'Day, a sports-focused orthopedic surgeon in academic practice at Prisma Health Upstate, formerly Greenville Health System in Greenville, South Carolina. I did medical school at Rush, residency at Ortho Carolina, also Atrium, fellowship in sports and shoulder at HSS, and gained a bit of additional experience traveling in France for two months after fellowship. Gabby is our guest to have a conversation based on her crucial role at the AOA as diversity and inclusion liaison. Welcome, Dr. O'Day. Thank you for having me, Charles and Alex. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us. Um, you know, as Chuck mentioned, this is a really critical issue, I think, not just within, within orthopedics and medicine, but obviously this summer we've seen a huge huge movement in social justice and, and really trying to bring a lot of these issues to the limelight. I was wondering if we could kind of just in, in broad strokes, why is this so important in orthopedics? You know, we see diversity becoming a major issue, a major improvement within the medical community. If you look at uh, some of the demographics, you know, women are more than 50% of medical students currently. We've seen increase in Hispanic, Latino, African-American, underrepresented minority in medical schools, but orthopedics is significantly behind. Uh, two years ago, uh, maybe 2% uh, Black, 2% Latino, 6.5% female, and that's been kind of steady for a long time. So why is this something that we really should focus on, and what are some of the issues, and we'll probably talk into this a bit more, but why now? Why do we need to focus on this now? I think there's a groundswell of frustration in terms of how orthopedics lags behind our other specialties in terms of diversity. I think the most important thing is that as doctors, we have to have a community that reflects the community that we serve. And we see that in medical school. So, you know, greater than 50% of the population are women, greater than 50% of medical schools are women. You know, the current population of Blacks is, I believe, 13% in the U.S., and in orthopedics, it's less than 2%, so we're behind. Same thing in terms of the population of, of um, other underrepresented minorities and women. We're behind. We're only less than 10% of orthopedic surgeons are women, and so what that does is it creates a disconnect between how we as physicians connect and relate and interact with our patients. Because there's a general, you know, it's human nature to connect better to somebody who has a similar life experience, who has a similar background. Um, and if we don't have people in orthopedics that have those similar life experiences and similar backgrounds as our patients, then we're, we're bound to continue to have that disconnect in how we care for patients. And it, it perpetuates many of the disparities that we continue to see in orthopedics. So understanding that with everything that has been going on with COVID-19 and with social injustice, I think there's a frustration 
with seeing how these disparities affect care in terms of the death rate and disproportionate affecting of underrepresented minorities from COVID, disproportionate um, issues of social injustice for, for minorities as well. And doctors are being asked to speak up every day and we can't kind of sit on the back burner as orthopedic surgeons and say, well, it's not a musculoskeletal issue. Let's not worry about it. It affects, you know, we all know that life stressors affect our patients in many different ways. And, and so we have to have a, a seat at the table. We have to be part of the conversation. Thank you. That's a, that's a great kind of broad introduction to this topic and its critical importance. Let's, let's uh, take a step in a different direction and learn a little bit about you, because I think it's relevant in how you got to, you know, your path and, and, and the like. Who were your role models and why were they important to you? And I guess that may have started back, at, you know, who knows, in high school, undergraduate, medical school, and kind of share a little bit about the importance of positive role models in your experience. I'll take a step back. So I'll start even before high school. You know, I'd say my role models to start with are my parents. And I think back and, and how I became an orthopedic surgeon. And in many ways, my, my parents' careers are in a way a direct reflection of that. My mom is a PhD in organic chemistry. She worked in the pharmaceutical industry for a very long time. One of very few women and certainly few women of color in that subspecialty. Similarly, my dad was a longtime pilot, Air Force for a long time. Very meticulous, you know, very similar to most pilots, very sort of direct and, and neat in how he sort of has gone about his life the way pilots need to be. And in a way, I always emulated some aspects of their different personalities growing up. So I always had an interest in science. I wasn't sure if I wanted to go into medicine. I ended up at a math and science academy, Illinois Math and Science Academy in in Aurora, Illinois. And that's where I started getting my first exposure to medicine and exposure to people who are sort of research and science driven. I didn't really have any specific role models at that time in medicine. And, and so it wasn't until I was an undergrad that I got my first true direct exposure to medicine. And that incidentally was orthopedics. So I'm one of those few people that early on had exposure to an orthopedic surgeon when I was an undergrad, I was an athletic trainer at the University of Virginia. And so I, I got the opportunity to work with team physicians there and just really loved that experience of working with athletes, seeing a tangible aspect of medicine where you can talk to somebody, examine them directly and, and come up with a thoughtful diagnosis and a solution. And so that was my first real exposure to medicine, which was in orthopedics. Um, and that mentor was Eric Carson, who is currently at WashU, but was at University of Virginia for a long time. And I've been lucky because he has, he has remained a, an incredible mentor for me for the last, you know, probably almost 15 years now. Incidentally, he's also a person of color. So I had that opportunity to meet somebody who was already one of those 1.9% of Black orthopedic surgeons and get his perspective of how to be in this field and how to relate to some of the experiences I had growing up and how to navigate some of the challenges of, of, of entering a field that was predominantly white and male. 
That's a, that's a great story. And, and Dr. Carson, we're lucky enough to have him at WashU with us now. And he's uh, the network that he's of mentor mentees that he's, uh, he carries with them is, is unbelievable. I'm curious to wonder if any of your mentors during your medical school or even beforehand tried to steer you away from orthopedics. You mentioned it's difficult, especially as a woman of color. Did anyone tell you, hey, you're not you're not like them. You're not supposed to be, you don't look like an orthopedic surgeon. Uh, maybe you should think about something else. You know, I never had anyone in orthopedics deter me from orthopedics. And perhaps I was naive in thinking that there were always going to be people who were going to support me in that endeavor. But the people who didn't seem to support me were, were non-surgeons Typically, you know, some of our primary care faculty in medical school who felt that, you know, orthopedic surgery, you know, it's a field of, you know, jocks, males, it's a hard, you know, it's a hard uh, subspecialty to go into, you may not have that work-life balance, and I think they all meant well, they, they never said anything that was, you know, driven from saying, oh, well, you're not qualified. But there was this concern that I wouldn't, quote unquote, fit in, or that I wouldn't have the life that I wanted, which first of all, you know, who's to assume that they know exactly what kind of life I wanted? You know, there's always that question of other people. It's like, well, you know, you're not going to have the family life. You're not going to be able to have, you know, kids when you want. So, So you're making an assumption that I want those things. And you're perhaps not diving deep into understanding what my personal goals are, which I felt were different than my mentors in orthopedics who understood my interest in orthopedics, understood my drive, and were universally supportive in pushing me forward in that direction. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm going to ask a really simple question if there's a really simple answer, and I know that there is not. But you know, the, the lack of mentors has to be one obstacle or one uh, limitation towards recruiting additional women and additional, you know, and underrepresented minorities. Uh, is that the biggest one, or is it just one of many obstacles? It's one of many. You can always find mentors. So that's, that's, that's a key thing. You, you can always find people who are in the field that you want to go into who can provide guidance. I think that's different than, say, having an advocate. I think that's just as important in orthopedics because um, you can have people who say, yeah, rah, rah, you can do it. But if they don't have the ability to propel you forward in the field, then then you're still having to do a lot of legwork on your own and and it does create additional challenges and a lot of people say well i need a mentor i need a mentor there are a lot of people who have gotten very far without having direct guidance from somebody in the field and if they've you know been able to navigate the challenges on their own or they've had mentors who don't look like them you know but have been supportive or they've had advocates who don't look like them, but have been supportive and have vouched for them and, you know, championed for them. So mentors is one thing, but having an advocate is probably the next big step. You, you, you aren't going to get as far without an advocate 
I would say that than more so than a mentor. To, to that point, I think one of the other things that you brought up was you had pretty early exposure into orthopedics. You mentioned you had undergraduate exposure. How important do you think access is early on? You know, uh, whether it's STEM programs in high school, uh, maybe some of the outreach programs, Perry Initiative, Nth Dimension, that are trying to get to uh, students at a younger time rather than their third year in medical school when they finally get to their orthopedics rotation and realize, wow, this is really cool. I should have thought about this. How important is that early access and how important are those pipeline programs to, to kind of get people to, to consider this as a career option? Absolutely. They're huge. You know, and I'm a byproduct of that. I went to a STEM school. I had early exposure. And, and, and so I knew coming into medical school, I wanted to do orthopedics. And obviously I tested the waters with different fields, but I ultimately enjoyed orthopedics. And what happens is the earlier exposure you have, the earlier you can tailor your interest and, and, and really build your portfolio to get into a field like orthopedics, which unfortunately can be somewhat niche because musculoskeletal education in medical school is just, to be honest, not very great. The exposure is very small and the exposure is, is late into medical school. So having those opportunities to be exposed to STEM, such as with Perry Initiative or be exposed to orthopedic research or orthopedic mentorship, they allow you to, to sort of frame your portfolio in a way that says this person has expressed early interest in orthopedics and has that interest has grown across the course of their medical training, which by the time they get to a fourth year and are applying, it jumps out on the page in their application as opposed to the highly qualified person who got a 250, 260, but had no exposure to orthopedics the first three years of medical school, no orthopedic research, no orthopedic volunteerism or exposure. And so when you've got 900 people applying to orthopedics, there's nothing on the application that jumps off on the page, even if they have an earnest but late interest particularly for women and underrepresented minorities, having that early exposure, having that early interest so that you can build that portfolio really is incredibly helpful. So, you know, I think the most important, well, maybe not the most important, but an important thing we can do is talking about this, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. just raising awareness and, and one might think that, well, there's plenty of awareness, but really, there has not been. And I think the recent efforts are really encouraging, but continuing this discussion is super important. What, in addition to just conversations, which are, are never enough, what tangible things do we do, do more of? Certainly recognizing and supporting the programs that exist. And this is certainly just an opinion I'm asking of you. Are the programs that exist sufficient? Do we need additional programs, expansion of current programs? How can we do better? I think the programs that exist are helpful from the, from the stepping stone of creating a pipeline. And, you know, pipelines are, are important for early exposure like we talk about. But, you know, there are different aspects that, that those programs can't quite touch, which is buy-in from orthopedic leadership that says that diversity and more importantly, inclusion is important. And so that's the other side of the coin is 
you can have recruitment efforts, you can have pipeline efforts, but if those efforts come in like a groundswell and then they hit a door that's shut, then we're not getting anywhere. So I would say having, having buy-in from residency program directors, faculty at different programs, you know, your chair, even the president of different hospital systems that say that diversity, inclusion, equity, support are important across the spectrum, then, then we're not gonna get that far because people can get through the door, but if they realize that on the other side of the door, there's not support, there's not equity, there's not inclusion, then there's gonna be a level of frustration that makes them feel unsupported. And unfortunately, in some cases may make them wanna leave the field. I think that's a really important point because I think a lot of program directors and a lot of chairs have bought into this, but potentially not a lot of faculty potentially at programs have bought into this. So we see the leadership talking about this, but you may not see your, your uh, partners buy into it. You may not see some of the faculty that are interacting with, with students buy into this. One of the things, and you hear this grumbling, and I thankfully was never a part of it, but kind of the, the concept of tokenism, that the only reason you're here is because of the way you look, because you're a woman of color. That's the only reason you got in. The kind of misperception that diversity means you're lowering your standards in order to make the picture look better. How do we fight that? Because I think that's one of the biggest challenges that, that, that I've seen is that we can do this, we talk about it, but then you get this crowd of people when you're talking about it, roll their eyes and say, why are we lowering our standards when we can get, you know, the same people that do great, that do a great job, they're gonna be fantastic orthopedic surgeons. Why are we lowering our standards just to make ourselves more diverse? Yeah, so I think I'll answer this in two ways. So speaking to the why is the diversity important? Like we said, we have to reflect the communities that we take care of. And we also have to understand if you have 60 people who are the best of the best, but they are for the most part on paper the same, they, they came from the same socioeconomic background. They trained at the same programs. What you'll find is, you know, homogenous thought. And diversity is important because it broadens our horizons. It broadens our ability to grow as a field. Now, that's how medicine, we practice evidence-based medicine. And if we're going to expand our field, we need to have people who are able to think outside the so-called box and realize there probably is no box. If you have enough people who have different backgrounds, there isn't a clear-cut way to think. There isn't a clear-cut way to, to act. And the only way you're going to acknowledge that is by having people who are diverse in their thoughts, in their life experiences, in their how they grew up in general. Um, so that's probably the most important aspect that it's not just diversity in terms of how somebody looks. It's also diversity in how somebody thinks in their belief system, in their structure, in their, in their way that they see medicine, because that's how we, we propel ourselves as a field together. I do have a thought on tokenism, but I wanted to hear what, <laughs> um, if you had anything, any, had any follow-up on that. I, I totally agree. I think one of the things that we really try to, to hammer in our recruitment with, with our program is that exact, exact same thought. It's not just diversity of, of outside, it's diversity of thought. It's different medical schools, it's different backgrounds, socioeconomic, geographic, 
you know, different uh, training backgrounds before we get there. So having a wide base, that's going to enrich everyone. It's going to make everybody better. And so it's going to make what you think may be a really great student resident, make them think more critically, make them think things from a different perspective and make them a better orthopedic surgeon, make them a better doctor. That's one of the things that I really think is uh, the, the take home message I think about, about recruitment is it makes us better. And I think the other point that we need to reflect the communities that we treat is huge because you don't understand your patient as well if you don't know their background, if you don't know the, the struggles that they've had or the situations that they've been in. And so even maybe not being from it, but knowing someone that you trained with or work with that is from that community or from that background can help you better take care of patients, I think. And I think that it's important for programs to reflect on why they want to diversify. That's probably one of the issues that I, that I dealt with even when I was interviewing at programs. There were several well-meaning programs that said, gee, we, we, really, we really want a, a black resident or we really want a woman. And there's just something very garish about that statement. I mean, it's very honest. You know, there is, there is honesty in that intent to say, we want to be more diverse. But it's uncomfortable when people say that because my thought back is why? And, and I see it like, say you're a program in Alabama and you're interviewing an applicant from New Mexico and you say, we really want someone from New Mexico. You'd probably say, but why? What's your reason? Why do you want someone from New Mexico? And, and, and so it's important for programs to be able to answer those questions for the people that they feel improve their diversity and ask, why do we want you here? What can you possibly bring? And more importantly, what can we offer you that makes this a comfortable environment for you? Because it's not just checking a box and saying, well, we really want a, a black resident or we really want a female resident, or in my case, you check both boxes, you're a black female. So as a person, we don't, I don't want to be a token. I'm a human being, you know, I have a personality and a diverse life experience. And I would want you to want me in your program because I contribute something to your program that's beyond what I look like. So programs need to be able to reflect on that. Why, why do they want diversity in their program? What does it provide? And that's not necessarily an answer that's universal at every program because different programs have different diversity needs. You know, a program that already has eight to 10 different people from di different diverse backgrounds has different needs than a program that hasn't had anybody that is an underrepresented minority or woman in the entire existence of their program's history. That reflection is important. Brings to mind, I continue to learn, I try to learn from all those around me and as my kids and my daughter is working on a college essay, and it's really good. And uh, she's, it, the whole part of inclusion as being so critical, you know, is actually what she writes about in her essay. And it's about, you know, creating a welcoming community. And if you're trying to bring a token underrepresented minority, that's a bad sign that you're not really trying to create a welcome community. And exactly. that has to be such a, such a piece to, to what we're doing. All right, this has been fantastic. 
lot more to discuss, but why don't we take a break and um, we will stop here and we look forward to continuing the conversation uh, with Gabby O'Day in the very near future. Alexander, thank you. Gabby, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.